As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Hey, welcome everyone to another edition of Dental Wealth Nation. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like the world keeps tossing things at me and, and they're not always things that I want. And, and somehow my brain tends to focus on the things that don't go well and the things that go wrong. And, and that's why I'm so excited about today is because by the time we finish today, you're going to know what science, that's right, what science has to say about how you can engage with the world around you. You're going to have an understanding of why gratitude matters so much, not just for your personal life, but your professional life as well. And you're going to feel empowered to take the first steps and move towards even more gratitude in your life. And you're going to see the amazing results that it can deliver. And I'm so excited to have Martin R. Mendelssohn here today. And, and what I love about Martin is Martin, just like you, has gone through some really rough spots in life. He has things ripped away and he's learned how to chart a new path. And he helps you use the science of op of optimism to achieve your strategic goals. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's it's really an honor. I'm excited for this conversation. Thanks for having me. Oh, right. And, and, and we'll just start off with some gratitudes, right? Like I, I really am grateful you're here. And, and, and gratitude plays a massive role in how we view the world, doesn't it? Absolutely. Gratitude can really truly change everything. And there's science behind this. And there's been so many years in my life where I've had things happen to me, like having my entire career ripped away from me seemingly overnight, where I had to find little bits of gratitude each and every day because I became disabled from clinical practice in 2003. And I was out of work for 17 months. And so let, let's remember what was going on in 2003. There was no internet. There was no smartphone. So I had to find a job the old-fashioned way, so to speak, when I was just a dentist, too young for some stuff, too old for some other stuff, too experienced for some things, too inexperienced for other things. And I remember those days as a song by Heather Small. I think she covered it, actually. What would you do today to make yourself feel proud? And so in those days, I would grab on to just even one thing I did to bring my life forward without judgment. And that was actually the start, looking back now, of my practice of gratitude to, to focus differently, to drive different results. Wow. Because, uh, I mean, you, you've been involved in dental practices since what, about 16 is, is my yeah. understanding? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, so I say from the stage as a joke that uh, I started at 16. They made me wear white pants. They forced me even after Labor Day, and which usually gets a lot. And yeah, so my entire life, minus three months when I ask people if they want to fries with that, ha has been within the confines of dentistry. And so when I was in my mid-30s and had clinical practice ripped away from me, 
you know, that that's not only is that a hard pill to swallow. Well, let, let's rephrase. That's a hard pill to swallow in any aspect of your life. I remember back in those days, not wanting to go to social events and parties. Cause you know what people say, especially in the United States, what do you do for a living? And so it was like, I'm a dentist. Where's your practice? Well, I don't practice. Why don't you practice? So mm. yeah, it's it, when, when something becomes part of your identity, or let me rephrase when we choose to make it part of our identity, when that then goes away, we have a, a challenging time to accept it. Yeah. So, right. So how did you start working through this, right? From, from, you know, literally like growing up in dental practices and then, you know, kind of having your career ripped away from you and, and, and now, right, you're one of the leading voices out there when it comes to optimism. And so how has that journey taken place for you and how has these experiences really shaped your approach to what you do? Well, you know, we were talking earlier about the, the, the iceberg illusion, how everybody just sees the stuff above the waterline. And mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is it's been a 20 year journey uh, out of work for 17 months, worked for a dental lab, uh, a bigger lab bought them and I got let go and then ended up working for Vita in North America and then came to Spear Education uh, almost 13 years ago. I'm still a very proud member of the resident faculty there at Spear. Love the good work that we do there, but it, it really was a journey. And like <clears throat> many life's journeys, I didn't start out to be sitting here talking to you today. Uh, it was 2015. I I have to credit Kaleem Manji, who was our CEO of Spear at the time. He showed Sean Accor's TED Talk in a town hall meeting uh, about the happiness advantage. And I picked up that book, literally ordered it that minute read that book cover to cover, which by the way, has more scientific references than pages and is one of the most funny reads hmm. of that kind of book I've ever read. And that started me on this whole journey of sobriety, of coaching, then uh, happiness studies, then team facilitation, emotional intelligence facilitation. It, it just became my life's work through looking to improve myself and just change the narrative that was my life at the time. Wow. So, right, changing the, the narrative, right, is something I think that's so important that a lot of us miss. And, and, and I've already heard you dabble these things in, right, whether we're choosing the identity to, yeah. of our professions or, or the narrative that around us. What, what is the narrative that, that most people have running through their mind on a day-to-day -day basis? So here's the scary thing. According to the National Science Foundation, we have about 50,000 thoughts that run through our noggins per day. Um, 70 to 80% of those are negative and 95% of those are repetitive. So we keep telling ourselves the same story over and over and over again. And so what I often talk about at this point in any conversation is uh, I ask everyone listening to think back the last time you bought a new car and you start driving around town. What do you start to notice? All the same or similar make and model vehicles that magically appeared out of nowhere. That isn't what happened. They didn't appear out of nowhere. There's a name for it. It's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon or frequency bias. The point is, is that what we are focused on is what we will see. Hmm. As Dr. Spear has said for years in seminars and workshops, when people get frustrated about certain patients not being interested in comprehensive care, he's looked at the audience for decades and said, are all patients not interested in comprehensive care? Or are some patients not interested in comprehensive care? So you can choose who you focus on and what you focus on, you will end up manifesting in your life, period.
Wow. So, so out of those 50,000 thoughts a day, the, the vast majority of them are, are negative or repetitive in yep. some form. Yep. Wow. I, and so what, how, how do we start combating this? How, how do we start creating space to, to, to tell ourselves a different story? Sure. Well, first of all, it's a journey and it's a skill. And I, I, I often talk about, because most of our audience here is dentists or dental professionals, right? So I often talk about this idea of dental dualism. And dental dualism is this idea that we as clinicians and anybody within our profession gives a great deal of respect to the time, effort, and consistency required to gain a clinical hand or administrative skill. Yet we don't do that to the verbal or mental skills. Hmm. But they're skills. They're just different skills. And so the truth of the matter is it is acceptance that this is real and it is bringing in even certain elements of optimism through consistency that you, that can yield results. So let me give you an example. Most practices have something they call a morning huddle or we at Spear call a perfect day meeting. I would certainly hope A, you're doing those, but B, I would also hope that part of that meeting is not simply exceptions, anticipated challenges, or problems. Those are important to talk about um, in, in the appropriate context. However, if that's how we start our day every single day, what are we going to be looking for all day, every single day? Exceptions, challenges, and problems. What if we could just make a simple start to talk about something we're grateful for that happened yesterday? And by the way, the research is very clear. It doesn't need to be something monumental. It could be something really simple. And it could be something personal too. A team member might say, I'm really happy. I, I came home and my spouse brought me home their extra cookie from lunch. Like that generates positivity that causes the positive chemicals in our brain to start flowing around that can start to change the narrative of how we see our lives every single day. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you're so right. This is a journey. I mean, this is something my, my wife and I have learned how to do over the years, too, is yeah. just the, the practicing gratitudes. And and it was interesting when we first started, sometimes like my gratitude was, I am glad I never have to do this day over again. Like, like it yeah. literally was that simple. It's like today sucked. It was awful. Yeah. And I never have to do this day. I'll, I'll have to do another form of it. But like this day, never again. Yeah. And through that process, and this has been, like I said, a long journey, that all of a sudden we found ourselves on the couch over New Year's. And instead of my mind going to everything I didn't get done last year, I finished and my wife looked at me with astonishment. And she said, you realize like you just gave me 75 or 80 things that went really well last year. Absolutely. And like, and that was a new thing for us. And we've had to work to get there. Because if you'd have known me a decade ago, it was all negative. And so, so, so what you're talking about is so important. But once again, I I think it's hard for us to embrace that. And, and you mentioned especially with with what we invest in, right? We'll invest in our clinical skills or our business skills, but we don't take the time and effort to to invest in the the skill of optimism. Absolutely, and I think this would be a good point to put a pin in the idea of toxic positivity because oftentimes. The minute we start talking about happiness or optimism, people bring in that phrase into the conversation. So toxic positivity is only ever looking at the bright side. That is not how I live my life. Toxic positivity is classically 
described in the catchphrase that's on t-shirts and hats, good vibes only. Life isn't about good vibes only, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry to break it to you. And so happiness is a comparative emotion. And so we cannot know happiness without knowing sadness and sorrow. And one of my favorite books is by Dr. Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. He's a noted neurologist, psychiatrist, and Holocaust survivor. He survived the horrors of Auschwitz to then be a beacon in the world to say there is always hope in the darkness. And one of the quotes that I often use in, in my teachings and my lectures and my workshops is, between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our freedom to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So it's not about what life deals you. It's about how you respond to what life hmm. deals you. End wow. of story. Interesting. Now, th this toxic positivity, I don't, I don't know that I've heard that term before. And I, and I think that that's interesting. So, so how do we bring that into our, our morning meetings and, and make sure we're actually really practicing those, those gratitudes and optimism and not just falling into a toxic positivity? Absolutely. I, that's a great question. So another phrase that certain people think is toxic when it's used uh, individually is the phrase, everything happens for a reason. I don't use it in a solo form like that or an isolated form like that. The way I use it is everything happens for a reason. This stinks or other words you can choose. I'm going to be mad about it. I'm going to let my emotions flow through and flow past me. And then I'm going to focus on what did this situation teach me about mm -hmm. this occurrence, this person, this reality of life. So what you're doing is you're acknowledging the negative you're allowing the negative to flow through you. Then you're turning your lens on how can I be a better person from this? What can I learn from this? What can I gain from this? And then you start to focus on the, the differences in, in possibility. Uh, Dr. Barbara Fredrickson uh, wrote a paper and coined uh, the broaden and build theory. And basically I'm summarizing where these positive thought repertoires in repetition allow us to broaden our ability to see things differently. And it even creates new neuronal connections in our brain that we can then go back to later when things get difficult. So there's a physiologic element to this as well uh, within the body of the positive psychology literature. Wow. So, so we're, we're actually transforming our brains through, yeah. through doing this and creating near neuro connections yep. so that all of a sudden it becomes easier to, to recognize and be optimism instead of focusing on everything that's going wrong. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. That, that is so fascinating. Now, you know, you also talk a little bit about a team concept, right? Thoughts, emotions, actions, and that leading to manifestations. Can you Absolutely. delve a little deeper into that, that model and how we might use that to, to really create a culture of optimism? Sure. This is an adaptation of a model of two of my friends and mentors, Jen Barley and Karen Sullivan. And it, it's understanding the reality that everything in life that happens is neutral going along with Viktor Frankl and others works. It's our thought that gives power to that situation that hmm. drives an emotion that drives then therefore an action that then therefore manifests results. So here's the example I give from, from the podium when I'm doing keynotes, I ask everybody to think about their dearest friend that they don't live with. Okay. 
And so I usually ask somebody to say, give me the name, you know, so let's, let's say it's Johnny. And so if we're there on a given Wednesday, I said, okay, everybody, we're going to put care and concern about Johnny in a little box. We're going to close the cover of the box. We're going to put it over here. Okay. So it's a Wednesday. Let's pretend. And you texted Johnny said, dear friend last Wednesday, and you haven't heard back from him. So barring care and concern, what might you be thinking about Johnny? Well, who does he think he is? Are he's too busy to text me back? Or maybe, oh, I saw him go out with the Joneses on Facebook. He wasn't too busy to go out with them, but he's too busy to text me back. What kind of emotions does that drive? Anger, frustration. What kind of actions does that drive? Well, it kind of depends on the kind of person you are. You might send him an angry text, a passive aggressive text, or if you're really analytical, Maybe you'll wait the exact same number of days it took him to text you back until you text him back. But see, this game, this this example, I tricked everyone who thought of said dear friend because how do those actions manifest the maintenance and and continuation of said dear friendship? They don't. So now let's take care and compassion out of the box, okay? Now you found out, gosh forbid, that something happened to Johnny. Now what are your thoughts? Oh my gosh, what can I do? How can I help? What does he need? What are your emotions? Care, love, compassion. What are your actions? Well, it depends. You know, DoorDash, dinner, take care of their kids or pets, whatever. You get the idea. And how does that manifest in maintaining or growing the friendship? Well, that's a different thing. And what's the only thing that changed? You're sitting in Victor Frankel's space and you're making stuff up versus thinking toward a positive outcome because the truth is the positive future is just as valid as the negative future because neither has happened yet. Wow. So there's a cost of sitting in the negative. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to that narrative, that story that we're telling ourselves, right? What's the narrative you're sitting with, with these things? Yeah. Yeah. Do you you find a lot of that, that narrative creation happens with the unknown situations and things right? Something happens and we, we have an unknown outcome. And so we're more negative to, or, or more apt to write a negative outcome instead of a positive outcome for that story. I do believe that life experience and life itself plays a huge role in this, in, in the narrative, as, as you asked. And we need to give that grace and understanding because we're humans. And when negative things happen, that stinks. Like, let's just call it what it is. And it can be exceedingly frustrating and it, it doesn't make it any better. W- one of the uh, Hallmark Foundation principles in my original coaching program was this concept of assumption. And that, you know, we can never assume that something's going to happen in the exact same way that it happened before, hmm. unless all of the factors that were there before are present today. So let me give a real life example within dentistry. Staff Team members are hard to find these days. Everyone's challenged with, with uh, having a full, a full team. And so there are a lot of individuals that have uh, applied for jobs, set up interviews, come in for interviews, and then ghost. They just disappear. And so it's understandable that leaders within practices can get jaded. However, let's flip the equation. Let's pretend now that you're the, the next candidate. 
And they're aware that your thought process is, well, you know, I just interviewed three other people. They all ghosted. They didn't work out. This person's probably just like everybody else. I'm not even going to, you know, get my hopes up that they're good. Like, how do you think that person would feel? Yeah. It's an interesting example, if you think about it, to flip the narrative and, and have the other person hear it. All of a sudden, it takes on a different context. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. How, how powerful. And, and right, and, and this has real life implications in, in our professional and personal lives too, doesn't it? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Let's say, you know, in that in that same situation with Johnny and and texting, let's say you come at them and and you send them a nasty text, and then you find out something terrible happened, and they get all upset with you that you didn't have the grace to to give them a little slack. And depending on the individual and the relationship. It, it might ruin the relationship forever because of an assumption, because of a, a, a living in a space and, and jumping to conclusions, or as I like to call it, jumping to catastrophe, uh, <laughs> depending on the situation. Oh my gosh. I, I love that. Yes. I, I think a lot of us are guilty of uh, jumping to, to catastrophe. And so, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking about this, this optimistic mindset and, and really changing the narrative and, and, and practicing gratitude and the science behind it. And, and right. How does an optimistic mindset, how, how does that influence what goes on in the dental practice? Does it, does it influence how we're going to do treatment planning? Does it ultimately yeah. impact how we deal with our staff and, and does it impact the financial success we may even have? Yes, 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 and yes. And in fact, I invite everybody, uh, January's edition of Dental Economics, I have a featured cover article on this topic, 10 or 11 different scientific references, some of which I'll share right now, uh, but it's on page 10. It's the culture edition uh, of Dental Economics. Hmm. And so the answer is absolutely yes. So let me give you a couple of small examples. Um, it actually influences our brain function. So Brian conducted a study, Dr. Brian, with school children. He went into a schoolhouse and these kids were about to take a standardized math test. He split them in two. In each group, they had high, middle, and low academic performers. One group just simply took the exam. The other group were part of a facilitated discussion that went something like this. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. We want to talk about the happiest day in your lives. What did you do? Who were you with? How fun was it? What did you experience? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Thank you. Now go take your exam. They blew the doors off the other group. I'll give you another example. Schmitz. Wait, 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 individuals wait, showing wait, them wait, photographs. This is, wait, I love wait, this one. Wait, wait, wait. Go, go back yeah. to that one. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. Telling me, you're telling me like just the, the very act, they write same test. They split the yeah. kids up. Yeah. They ask one group, like, just tell us about a happy day in your happiest day of your life. Yeah. And those kids like did so much better on the test than the other group. A hundred percent. Let's uh, now oh I'm about gosh. to blow your mind because I was going to tell you about Schmitz, which I can, but let's talk about Estrada's work because we're, we're now going to go to the opposite extreme. Let's talk about physicians. Mm. So Estrada was looking to investigate how positivity influenced diagnosis and anchoring. So anchoring, for those that may not be too familiar with the term, that's when you get literally stuck or anchored to a differential diagnosis, a hypothesis, or an idea, despite other facts coming to your knowledge, okay? So he worked with these physicians, and he gave them medical information to read to come to a diagnosis, and they were timed. There was no time limit, but they were timed. So there were three groups. 
The control group, just simply given the information. The neutral group, they were asked to read what was deemed either negative or, or positive medical information before the information containing in the study. And then the group primed to be happy, which I'll share with you in a second. The physicians primed to be happy came to a diagnosis 20% of the way through the material, twice as fast as the other two groups, with two and a half times less anchoring exhibited. And here's why this is so important. Do you know how they were primed to be happy? With candy. Not the actual eating of candy that could mess with their blood sugar, but simply, as I read the study, here, doctor, here's some candy. You can eat this when you're done. So here's the point, and this goes back to this whole toxic positivity stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Small jolts of positivity matter and can mm. have influence and influence how our brain literally functions. So yeah, it's that important to diagnose this treatment planning and practice success. Period. Oh my gosh. Well, and, and these are things, right, we can weave into the conversations as you're seeing your patients, as you're talking to your staff, right? It can be, right, as simple as, you know, right, bringing an example up for the patient to help them practice gratitudes while they're in your chair, right? You can do this without them even being aware of it. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And look, you know, I, I'm very close friends with Dr. Kyle Stanley and, and we work together and I know we're going to talk a little bit about what he and I are doing a little bit later, but he, he's, he's one of the other giants in dentistry talking about mental health for dentists and burnout. And he has a fantastic course called the mentally resilient dentist. But the reason why he comes to my mind right now and right here is because he talks about how we operate in an environment of fear where the patients that are coming to us are coming with their prior dental experience. They're afraid. The, the data on phobia is very clear. The data on phobia of the injection is very, very clear. There's data that, that shows or research that shows that when we give local anesthesia, our blood pressure goes up due to empathy. So helping our patients kind of work through that prior dental anxiety and, and acknowledging it, not, not moving past it. Like when I work with teams all the time, particularly on listening skills, if a patient sits there and says, you know, I'm really, really nervous about this filling, this root canal, this extraction. Oh, you know, Dr. Jones is really wonderful. You have nothing to worry about. You didn't acknowledge them at all. And so we're also negating their concerns, right? So this, this kind of goes back to what we said before. Happiness is a comparative emotion. We got to work through that negativity to get to the other side of positivity. Wow. Now, you know, as you were talking about that, right, I, I wonder about different career paths for, for people in different industries. And, and, and right, as we're talking about this, it, it really feels like some industries are, are more prone to, to really benefit from the science of optimism and, and from the science of gratitude and, and helping people work through things, right? Because especially in medical, right? You've got that caregiver fatigue, you've got the empathy piece, and it's, it's a lot harder on a lot of us to go through these things than, you know, like, than maybe some other profession out there. So, so have you found some industries really suffer a lot more than others when it comes to the science and what you're doing? Shauna Core actually talks about it in the happiness advantage relative to our attorney colleagues, uh, because they're actually trained to look for inconsistency and error. Mm. And so for some individuals in their personal lives, they can't turn it off. Ooh. And so although, yes, dentistry has a very significantly higher incidence of suicide than the general populace, it's my understanding, and I, I don't have the data on this, it's my understanding that 
uh, attorneys have as high, if not higher of a suicide rate than even dentists do. Okay. Um, but the, the research is clear on dentists. It was a JADA study from 2015. We have two and a half times the incidence of the general population of anxiety disorder, depression, and panic disorder. Two wow. times. Wow. And it has a lot to do with all the things Kyle talks about, environment of fear, media portrayal, all these, you know, physical uh, uh, challenge of what it is we do because it's so taxing on our bodies. It's the list goes on and on. Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, that that's fascinating. And I think especially the attorney piece, right? That that makes yeah. a lot of sense because they are, they're, they're, they're trained to spot mm -hmm. those inconsistencies. Yeah. That's what they do for a living. Exactly. So, you know, it, it sounds like we do have some solutions here, right? Some science-backed solutions to, to really help dentists and other professionals move forward. But, you know, I don't know that we see a lot of this conversation going on. I, I think we have more of it, but it still doesn't feel very widespread. Why do you think that we really have some of these barriers to, to people being willing to invest in this the same way we might invest in a business coach or a mastermind group or a new piece of equipment for our office? I think within dentistry itself, my observation is that if we if we we're we're so trained to work in millimeters and and be so exacting that if we can't put our fingers on something absolutely exacting, then it's not as valuable. Hmm. However, the the data we just talked about, anxiety, depression, and panic disorder speak for itself. You talk to most dentists and you ask them, what's your most challenging part of dental practice? They're not going to say clinical. They're going to yeah. say managing the team and my perspective, my personal perspective, having worked with technically thousands of offices on the phone and uh, hundreds in person is that we don't give enough gravitas to the true reality that there can be a gap in life experience between doctor and team. That's not criticism. That's not a judgment. That's just the way it is. And so what gets us leaders into trouble in, in many instances is that we expect our teams to engage, interact, and interpret situations and realities the way we do. Hmm. And they don't. And so what can we do about it? Well, for my part of it, what I very firmly believe is that if we can establish a communication alliance, which is part of the work I do, so that we can sit down and we can talk about what kind of practice do we want to show up to every day? What are the words that or phrases that exemplify that? How do we want to show up when there are challenges? So maybe words would be like open-minded or with kindness or with patience. And how do we want to keep each other accountable, you know, with grace, et cetera. And sometimes the words overlap. Then we have a place to start from. And, mm -hmm. and if we can get the team to acknowledge, regardless of how many years they've been in dentistry, what their backgrounds are, it doesn't matter. If we can get everybody to agree that this is the alliance we're going to live by, we're going to have a safe word. Most of them pick pineapple. Don't ask me why. And um, then it gives us an opportunity in the appropriate time, of course, never in front of a patient, to, to then to, to wave the white flag and say, hey, I have concerns about what's going on here. If we could do even just that, mm -hmm. that changes the face of an entire practice. And, and wow. I've seen it over and over again. 
Wow, that's, that's so powerful. And right, talking about alliance, right? That starts to bring up the ideas, to me at least, of of collaboration, of community, yeah. of having support of others. And, yeah. and I know that's something you often em- emphasize is, right, just the importance of not going it alone and, and the value of, con- uh, of that community support. And so, you know, with those alliances, is that one of the ways that they can leverage their, their team for growth and success? And are there some other ways that they can really leverage the, the community in, in collaboration for further success? Yeah. So the, the alliance is a big part. The Just simply the discussion that we don't all necessarily see things the same way can, can really blow doors down uh, for many practices. Because I, I haven't been to a practice yet where somebody within the team doesn't matter who or or the doctor right when i say team i mean everybody is looking at things a certain way that they had never verbalized before and so just simply the acknowledgement that oh maybe my interpretation of x y or z may not really be what's going on you know maybe this individual team members gruff hello good morning had more to do with the fact that their mom is ill mm-hmm. than it does you mm-hmm. and so when we can kind of lift ourselves out of that space victor frankel's space that alone can can change the dynamic and and that's not enough because that's just the first step in many ways or, or part of the first stage Mm-hmm. Once we acknowledge that and we're willing to work through it, then we can have further discussions around, you know, how do we want to engage with each other? What am I committed to doing more of, doing less of, stopping <laughs> or starting? And and we can have all those really fantastical discussions, but we're not going to get there unless we acknowledge the fact that everything that we typically are driving toward as a result in a dental practice production, communication, teamwork, problem solving, strategic planning. Those are all results. Mm. Those are all results of actually interacting with each other. And unless we're actually interacting with each other on even partially and even plane communication wise, we don't have a hope of taking the practice to a different level because we're always going to get stuck. Wow. Between wow. Oh my gosh, how, how powerful. And, and I know this this alliance framework is, is something that you teach and you help practices yeah. implement. And uh, yeah. you know, what are what are some common transformations and results that you start to see in the the teams when you go in there and you start implementing this alliance framework and the, and the team really starts communicating and working together. What do you start to see happen in the practices? Great question. Lots of fun stuff to be honest with you. It's I've heard all different kinds of positive movements, many of which start almost immediately, which would make sense, right? Because you you just did the workshop on a Friday. Now we're back on Monday and it's fresh in your mind. And I've had reports of teams where two team members were starting to have a discussion. I'll put that in air quotes. And a third team member witnesses it, came up and said, pineapple. Next thing you know, it stopped everybody in their tracks. And they're like, what do you mean? And they're like, let's talk about this. And it allowed them to move through things in a better and different way. I have a practice I just worked with in uh, Fresno just a couple of weeks ago. And they've engaged their safe word a couple of times over a specific situation. And they're making progress. So 
it's really neat to see the self-managed movement on the part of the team that takes accountability, that takes leadership, ownership to not only their own behaviors, but the behaviors of others to drive what it is everybody agreed they wanted to do to begin with, which for almost all of us is excellent patient care. At least I would hope it would be. (laughs) So that's where we're driving toward. Wow. Right now, now, right. It's such a powerful story, right? And I love that, right? Just driving communication so that you can serve your patients better and and actually even have more fun and enjoy what you do. And, uh, and, you know, management techniques, those come and go, right? There's always a new management technique, always a new strategy or tactic. And so, so why do you think this really differs than, than just some management technique coming along, right? What actually makes this different? Because it's not a technique. It's a way of managing through your day, you know, whether it's my, my team framework, my mentors, TFAR framework, thoughts, feelings, actions, results, it's all based in cognitive behavioral therapy. Hmm. And so it's all based on challenging assumption to move yourself forward. Um, You know, I've had, it's, it's an often talked about reality of today of ghosting in the personal space and the workplace. In fact, Simon Sinek has a fantastic short video on ghosting that I recommend everybody watch. It took me a long time to get over the fact that it wasn't about me. And I've had career making opportunities come to me after following up for several years and not making it about me. And what I mean by this is, you know, un, un, unanswered communications, texts, emails, et cetera. If I made it about me, I wouldn't have sent the next text. I wouldn't have sent the next email. Now, understand, these aren't cold emails. These aren't cold phone calls. These are warm interactions. These are interactions where we've had discussions that we want to move forward. And so if I allowed my space to be clouded by negative mm. assumption, I, we wouldn't even be sitting here today talking wow. about this stuff. Wow. Hmm. I, and, and so do you see this kind of the, this new way of moving forward, right? The really kind of pushing through and, and, and embracing the, the science of optimism. Do you see this really kind of starting to fit into the evolving landscape of dental practices? And do you see this being part of the, the future of, of practice management? I believe the answer wholeheartedly is yes. And COVID was a terrible part part of our history. However, what it yielded was an awareness within dentistry that Houston, we got a problem. And it shone light on a lot of these challenges, these psychological challenges. And so I do believe this kind of thing is going to continue. I think I, I have personal evidence of it. I just gave a keynote to a subsidiary of United Healthcare. They're not even in dentistry. This is a $500 million plus company a year. And little old me was talking about using optimism to achieve strategic goals of this massive corporation. Um, Mm. I'm not at liberty to say yet, but I'm going to be speaking at the national sales meeting of one of the largest dental companies in the world to their sales team. And so the, if the corporate and DSOs too, I'm in discussions with DSOs. If these entities are identifying this as something that's going to help drive the bottom line, 
I think the solo and or the small group practitioner needs to listen. Wow, how powerful. And and so how do you typically engage with these organizations? Is it through workshops, individual coaching, right? How can we engage with you if we're interested in exploring how to build this into our practices and our lives? Absolutely. It, like any business like mine, it it runs the gamut. And so when I say it runs the gamut, it has everything to do with need because I have certain skills, abilities, and and, and instruments that I can deploy based on need. So for some individuals, they enter through uh, just individual one-on-one coaching first. Some individuals want me to come into their team and then follow up with, with one-on-one coaching. Then on the corporate or DSO side, I have these entities that are saying, we want you as a keynote or a webinar to kind of set the tone, the knowledge, the nomenclature to then move forward. So what I've done is on my website, which is this, my name, martinmendelson.com, I have all of those kind of spread out into tabs with uh, testimonials of individuals I've worked with. I have a, a full speaker kit with all of my uh, subjects in there, as well as the workshops. And it's all there on the website uh, as a one-stop shop for people to kind of dig their teeth into w- what does this really mean? What does this really look like? Excellent. Yeah. And I put a, a link down below for everyone to Martin's website. I'd encourage you to check it out. One of my favorite sections on there is the books you love, right? The, the resources that are there for, for us to continue to engage, to learn, to grow. And so right, your, your website isn't just about you, right? It's a, a resource for us to learn also, which is absolutely so wonderful. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's so fun to also highlight authors that I happen to know personally that have written pretty amazing groundbreaking books and um, Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar, who uh, is Harvard trained, and he gained uh, notoriety and attention a number of years ago when the Boston Globe did an article on him. He was teaching at Harvard at the time. They said, why, is, why are all these Harvard students lining up to take a course on happiness? You know, aren't they happy there at Harvard? And so I've had it, you know, I took his course. I had the chance to interact with him. Uh, I had a podcast for a hot minute. And uh, he was gracious enough to be a guest on there. And uh, Sean Swarner is an author who's on there that was in my coaching program, who's one of the only individual, the only individual in the world that's climbed Mount Everest with one lung. Talk about optimism. So there's some great stuff on there. Really, really good stuff. So thank you for highlighting that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, a great resource and I would encourage everyone click, click below, check that out. And I, and I think you also have some, or, or a workshop coming up at the, the end of the year, I believe November sometime. Yeah. So I, I talked about my, my dear friend, Dr. Kyle Stanley. We, we met uh, almost by accident in the middle of the pandemic. Thanks to Dr. Todd Shire. Uh, and he wanted to do a Facebook live about mental health and dentistry. And Kyle has a fantastic framework on, as I talked about earlier, the mentally resilient dentist. And so what we've done is we've joined forces. And so we take his frameworks that he teaches within his online course and my exercises and my facilitation skills. And we, we jokingly say we birthed this baby called Lightside Live. And so we've given Lightside Live several times now. We get once in Huntington Beach, once in Milwaukee. Um, and now... Um, we just finished getting all of our T's crossed and I's out of yesterday. Glidewell Laboratory is allowing us to uh, use their facility in November, November 1st and 2nd, uh, to host Lightside Live on their campus. And so uh, Kyle's website is lightsidedentistry.com. 
And then there's a tab for light side live. There's so many video testimonials that just make me just humble when I see them, because what we're able to do when we come together and support each other is like nothing I've ever seen. And, and I believe we're like you alluded to before, we're on the ground floor of something big um, from, from what we've seen from all of these individuals. Yeah. Wow. Well, hey, th thank you for being here and thank you for sharing so generously. I, I know I certainly have a much better understanding of what the science has to say about engaging with the world and, and certainly a much better understanding of why gratitude matters so much and, and certainly feel empowered to, to take those first steps and, and move towards even more gratitude and, and optimism. But before we sign off here, any closing thoughts for us? I think that Wherever you are, whoever you are, you are right where you're meant to be. And mm. that might sound trite, but we are all the totality of our lives experience. And we can choose to look back to the past with regret. We can choose to look back to the past with judgment, with sadness, or we can choose to move forward. And that's a choice that we make every day. Because the, the, the reality is all we have is the present. The past has already happened. There's nothing we can do about it. And by the way, the future hasn't happened yet. And so, as I said earlier, looking toward the future with positivity is just as valid as looking to the future with negativity. And by the way, when we get to that future, that's now our present. So all we have is the present moment. And if, even after all this wonderful discussion, you sit there and say, well, you know, Martin, I still need to look toward the future with a bit of trepidation to prepare myself. There's a difference between saving money for retirement and having a mindset of negativity because the science is clear. If we allow ourselves and make the choice to be steeped in negativity, it's negativity we will see. We will not allow our brains to be more broad, to see opportunities and possibilities. And it will ultimately impact our lives, whether that be personal or treatment planning or productivity within dental practices. Period. Wow. So powerful. You're right. All, all we have is the, the president, a good friend of mine, one of the leading axiologists out there, a guy named Stephen Sisler, really talks about you. You can stare. I can stare at my watch all day long and I'm never going to be in the future. I'm always going to be right yep. now. Yep. Right. It doesn't change. I, I can watch my clock for 10,000 hours and I'm still going to be right here right now. Yep. And uh, so, yes, the the, the being present and, and focusing on that, I think, is so important. So thank you for that reminder, Martin. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure and an honor to spend a little time with you and to continue to kind of get my message out there. Excellent. And want to certainly support that because I think a more optimistic mystic world is a better world. So thank you for tuning in to Dental Wealth Nation. We'll see you all here again really soon. Take care. You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at DentalWealthNation.com. 